Our next gospel lesson is going to come from Philippians. If you're looking at Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 13 of Philippians chapter 2. Where Paul shares with us these words. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now much more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God is at work within you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you, uh, as you know, because as, from having heard these last few weeks, we're in the midst of a series right now where we're talking about what are our key doctrines, which is what we believe, and how does that reconcile or how does that lead itself towards our values, which is how we live out our doctrines. Our doctrines are our core beliefs, the things that we hold to be true, the things that we believe to be true. We've talked about what is, what is salvation about, what is scripture about, what, what is, who is God. We've, we've, we've spent some time these last few weeks really unpacking what are some of our key doctrines regarding truth and scripture and Jesus and faith and things such as that. So we, and if you've, not, if you've not heard those sermons, I would invite you actually to go back on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. All those sermons are there. Or if you're a podcaster, you can go to our website and click on the link that says podcast and listen to that. I think these are, I think these are important things for us to know about what we believe about Scripture, about what we believe about salvation and who God is. Well, these are key things. It is so, so, so important for us to know what we believe because our beliefs define our boundaries. Our beliefs define the, sand, the sandbox we play in, if you will. It's important to have beliefs. It's important to know your beliefs, because if we don't know our beliefs, then we really can't be in relationship with each other. Honestly, if I don't know what I believe, then how can I communicate with you in areas where we may have differences? So I would encourage you to go back and watch that and unpack what it is that we believe. But here's the thing. Our beliefs, as important as they are, aren't the totality of our faith, because our beliefs, our doctrines, what we believe, but that doctrine is then lived out by our values. Our values matter. Our values are huge, because one of the mistakes, y'all, I believe we've made in faith in the last 50 years, probably, probably longer than that, is that we have mistaken intellectual beliefs for the Christian life. So, I believe correct doctrine. Yeah, I affirm all the key doctrines of the church. I affirm the Apostles' Creed. I affirm the Nicene Creed. I believe everything that's right. I, I agree with it in my mind. I believe it in my heart. I, yeah, and I believe it, so I'm good, right? Well, Paul says, if I have all knowledge but have not love, then I've gained nothing. The book of James, which I read from this morning, James says, you believe that God is one. You do well. The devil believes and shudders. If all it takes to be a Christian is intellectually holding to the right doctrine, well, then the devil's a Christian, y'all. Right? I mean, the Bible tells us the devil believes, right? The devil saw it. The devil witnessed the resurrection. 
The devil witnessed the creation. The devil has seen all the stuff. The devil intellectually believes these things. So if all Christianity is is intellectual assent to a collection of beliefs, then the devil's a Christian. So surely the Christian life is not simply just intellectual agreement with the collection of doctrines. John Wesley once said, you can be as orthodox as the devil. Orthodox is right belief. You can be as orthodox as the devil and just as righteous. It's not, our Christian life is not simply our doctrine. As important as our doctrine is, our Christian life is also our values. How, how do we live these things out? How does our Christian life play itself out? So last week, we talked about inviting Talk about inviting. That's, that's, you know, inviting is an interesting concept and an interesting phrase because often with inviting, we think about um, inviting folks to church. Like that, and that's all we think of with inviting is inviting folks to church. And listen, we need to invite folks to church, y'all. That's a big deal. Worship matters. Sunday morning worship matters. The book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Our worship on Sunday morning is a big deal. It matters. We should invite people to worship with us on Sunday morning. We should. We're instructed. We're required to do that. And typically, historically, as Methodists, we do a really bad job of it. My favorite stat of all time is from the Hinton Rural Life Center, which is a Methodist agency in North Carolina. And their studies compiled showed that the average Methodist invited one person to church every 38 years. That's always the fact that I just blows my mind. And so then my question is, well, then who have we invited to church? So, yeah, inviting to church matters. It's a huge deal. But when we speak of inviting, it's more than just inviting to church. It's inviting to relationships. We are a church that, one of the things I love about St. Matthew's is this. Um, in the grand schemes of Methodism, St. Matthew's, even in the midst of COVID, when everybody's not back yet, we're still a really large Methodist church in Mississippi. The average Methodist church in Mississippi worships 64 people on Sunday. So in the grand scheme of things, we're still a really big church. But to invite doesn't simply just mean invite people to church. What it means is to invite to relationship because part of what our values are, part of what defines us is this, is that we are a relational church. Relationships matter here. We are a larger larger church that has never lost the small church feel. We know each other here. We know our pains, our sorrows, our prayers, our needs. That's part of what makes us, I think, exceptional. There are bigger churches than us, fancier churches than us, churches with a lot better, better looking and better preaching preachers than us. But I don't know any church that loves like we do. That's part of what makes us who we are. So when we talk about inviting as a value for our church, it isn't simply inviting folks to church, which is part of it, but it's inviting folks into a relationship. We as Christians, we at St. Matthew's, we should be what I call incubators of relationships. We should be people who form relationships. One of our values is that we value relationships and we should form relationships wherever we are. So we should be forming relationships. We invite folks into relationship here at church. We invite them to Sunday school. We invite them to small groups. But 
We should, be, we should be creating relationships at work. We should be forming relationships at the ball field. We should, be reform, we should be incubating relationships at the tailgate. We should be people that wherever we are, we are inviting folks into a deeper relationship, into a deeper walk, because we need that. We as Christians, we as people are a relational people. So part of our values is that we value relationship. We value inviting you to participate in that journey with us because we think that matters. We think that's important. We find life in that. Relationships matter. We are saved by a relationship with Christ. Of all the ways, of all the ways the sovereign God of heaven could have chosen to save humanity, what did he choose? To send his son to earth, to live, die, and be resurrected, to ascend and return. And that we are saved by Christ, by a personal relationship with him. We are a relational people. That means that no matter where we go, we should be incubating relationships and forming relationships everywhere we are and inviting people into that. Yes, inviting them to church, to worship, inviting them to Sunday school, inviting them to small group, inviting them to serve. Yes, we should be inviting people into these things, but we should be living it out each day of our life because our Christian life does not end on Sunday morning, but it continues. We should be relational each day. Now, listen, I get it. Not all of y'all are, are, are like extreme type A extroverts like me. I have a working assumption, and that is if you're, if you're sitting in front of me, that you want me to talk to you, because that's just kind of how I'm wired. I mean, I'll talk to a tree. I don't care. I got a lot to say. Very little of it, very little of, it is of any value, but I'll sure say it. <laughs> and so not all of you are wired that way, and that's okay. What matters is that how God has made us and where we find ourselves, we are inviting people into relationships with God and with each other. And so, even when we invite to church, we should even change the way we do it and say, hey, why don't you come to church Sunday? Why don't you say, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? Why don't you come sit by me? In fact, then I'll wait for you at the front door when you get here and I'll walk with you to a pew. No one should enter into the sanctuary on Sunday. No youth should enter into our fellowship hall on Wednesday. No child should enter into our children's ministry. That and walk away without being welcomed, loved, greeted, and loved upon. Relationships matter. And when we invite, we aren't just inviting folks to church, we're inviting people to form relationships, no matter where they find themselves at. So that's a value for us, is that we believe in inviting. But today, today we're reading one of my favorite, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. We're reading, y'all, Philippians is the best. Philippians is one of my favorite books in all the, all the Bible, um, because... Philippians, Paul writes this book, this letter, to the church of Philippi, and like, this book is full of rejoice in the Lord again, 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 I say rejoice, rejoice always, rejoice, be happy, God's at work, yay God, go God, and you know where he's writing this book from? He's writing it from his condo in Perdido, Perdido, right? He's down on the beach, watching the waves, going to Fairhope, antiquing, doing all that, Right? No, Paul writes this letter in prison. Paul is in jail and going to be killed soon for his belief. If I was in his shoes and writing this letter, it would not be as nearly optimistic. I'd be telling y'all what was wrong with the world. 
Paul, though, in the midst of prison, writes optimistically, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. So Paul here today, I think, I think this passage we read today is probably the best, shortest two verses that really shows us what that Christian life looks like. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. In other words, do your part. I, I saw, I saw uh, somebody shared a great uh, uh, image on, on Facebook uh, that said, um, uh, basically, so like prayer is not leaning on a shovel and expecting a hole to show up. Work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. Do your part. Do your part with your faith. Do your part. But see, here's the problem, is I don't want to do my part. I really want to sin. Like, I want to do the stuff that I shouldn't do. Like Paul says, or Paul says, the very things I should not do, the very things that I do, the very things I should do are the very things I don't do. Yeah, I want to do the bad stuff because I'm human. So, whoo, work out my salvation? I don't know if I'm good enough for that. That sounds hard. I don't know if I can do that. That's why we can't just read verse 12 by itself because verse 12 by itself puts a works-based theology where we got to be doing more and more and more and more and more. Verse 13 says, but know that it's God who's at work within you. You do your part, God's going to do his part. One of my favorite, you know, I love to read the great theologians of the church. Um, there's much wisdom we can gain from the great saints of the church. One of my, one of my favorite theologians um, is Charles Barkley. Um, they asked Charles one time, said, Charles, how hard was it to graduate from Auburn? His quote was, it's not very hard when you lead the SEC in rebounding, which is a pretty good line. But uh, Charles, Charles, when he played basketball in the, at Auburn and then in the NBA, he was listed at 6'6". He was actually closer to 6'4". And he was he was as round as he was tall. That's why he was called the round mound of rebound. He was as wide as he was tall. Great rebounder, though. You're like, how this guy who was 6'4 out-rebound all these bigger players? How did he pull that off? Well, one of the things that Barkley understood was that he understood that rebounding was all about positioning. You put yourself, you position yourself between your man and the ball. You box your man out. You position yourself in that way. And if, if you put yourself in the right position, something good will happen. You box your man out, and either he will go over your back and foul you, and you get the foul and the free throw and the ball, or you'll get the rebound. But either way, if you position yourself well, if you put yourself in the right place, something good will happen. That's what Paul's saying here. It's like rebounding. It's like basketball. Position yourself well. Work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. Put yourself in the right position. But know that it's God who's at work within you. We position ourselves and God speaks to us. It's about positioning ourselves in a way to have God speak to us. So today, our value is we talk about growing. We want to grow. And we grow by positioning ourselves. And listen, y'all, I'm not talking about just church growth because, of course, we want our church to grow. Of course we do. That's why we're buying property and doing these things. We want our church to grow so more folks know Jesus. But the growth we're talking about today isn't just church growth, but it's you and me growing as a disciple. We value here sanctification. We value here growth as an individual. We believe in growth. So how do we grow? 
How do we position ourselves well? Well, I think there's a couple of, of ways. One is through individual, one is through discipleship, both on an individual basis and as, in a church basis. And so individually, we grow. Wesley said there are five things we do called means of grace, that when we do these things, we grow closer to God. So how do we grow individually? First, we read the Bible, y'all. If we're not digging into God's word, we'll never know God. It's that simple. I heard a preacher say one time, said, you will never know God's unknown will for your life unless you know his known will. In other words, you'll never know the mysteries of God unless you're spending time in his word. It's that simple. When we read Holy Scripture, we encounter God, and God speaks to us. We have to be reading the Bible. And y'all, let me tell you a secret. There's nothing as a preacher I would rather do than answer your questions about the Bible. Seriously. There's nothing I'd rather do than that. So when you're reading the Bible and you don't understand something or it doesn't make sense or you don't know what it means, seriously, reach out to me. Reach out to the staff. Reach out to the ministers. We would, there's nothing we'd rather do than talk to you about the Bible. Nothing. Nothing. We'll never know God completely unless we know his scripture. Y'all, I, I, I'm all, those of you who have been with me in a Bible study know that I will spend an entire five years on one verse of the Bible. I'm all about digging in and trying to understand what's happening there. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to search the scriptures and allow God to encounter us there. So we search the how do we grow? How do we become better disciples? How do we grow deep in discipleship? First, we search the scriptures. We read the Bible. Second, we pray. We seek God through prayer. We understand God through prayer. We relate to God through prayer. Prayer is not me giving. Prayer is not a Kroger click list where I tell God what it is that I need him to do. Okay, God, here's the 10 things I need you to do. Now go do your job, God. Go do what I need you to do. See you later. Prayer is not a Kroger click list. Prayer is not me telling God what to do. Prayer is me encountering God and growing closer to God and having an encounter with a holy God. Prayer is me becoming aware of God's presence and giving my life completely over to him. So we need to have specific, specific times of prayer. So I pray in the morning if I don't wake up. We need to pray constantly throughout the day, always tuning our heart to God, allowing God to speak to us. Prayer is about us becoming aware of God's presence and understanding that God is always with us and understanding that giving ourselves space to hear God's voice. If we do not pray and seek God through prayer, we will never know God and we will never grow deeper in our faith. We have to read scripture. We have to pray. And then Wesley talked about fasting, which is one of the spiritual disciplines. We've got to live self-controlled lives. If we live lives where we only attend to our wants, then we will live lives of selfishness. We'll live lives of gluttony. We'll live lives of, of pride. If my life is only about me and what I want and gratifying my desires and my stuff, you know, you can't reconcile that with Jesus' scripture. You simply can't. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus calls us to live lives of discipline. When we fast, 
We cut off the things in our life that we think control, that are really controlling us, that are clouding our, our ears and our eyes and our hearts from experiencing God. We often can't hear God because life is too loud and too busy. It's hard to hear God when our lives are clouded with every bit of technology from sunup to sundown. If we don't give ourselves space to experience God, we'll never experience him. So by fasting and being disciplined, we give ourselves the proper space to encounter God. So we, script, we read scripture, we pray, we fast as individuals. But then as a community, we, uh, we, we have, uh, we, we, we actually talked of communion, worship. Worship matters, y'all. Worship matters. Read the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the people of God are called to worship. I heard somebody ask the question one day, he said, well, can you be a Christian and can you not, can you be a Christian and not go to church? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart, confess your mouth, you shall be saved. So I guess you can be a Christian and not go to church. But if that's the case, man, you're going to hate heaven. Heaven's going to be terrible for you. Because when you read what the Bible tells about heaven, it's worship of God for all eternity. It's a complete union with God. We know God completely and he knows us completely. This matters, y'all. This is important. The gathering together on Sunday of worship, the, the sacraments, communion, baptism, these things matter. And God speaks to us and God transforms us in that. So we need as a community. So individually, we read scripture, we pray, we have discipline. As a community, we worship. And Wesley talked about conferencing. Conferencing, conferencing is just community. People who we can lean upon and who speak into our lives. I put it like this. If there's not at least one person in your life, say, well, you've got to, there's got to be at least one person in your life who you've given permission to, to call you an idiot, and you've got to listen to them when they say it. Man, a lot of folks call you an idiot. Just get on Facebook, you can see that. There's got to be somebody that you've given permission to in your life to hold you accountable, to speak the truth into your life that you need to hear. And y'all, if we don't have someone in our life who we've given permission to to do that, then we'll never grow because we're just going to stay comfortable. If there's not somebody in our life to hold us accountable or push us or challenge us, then we'll never grow. All these things, scripture, prayer, fasting, worship, conferencing or accountability, they force us out of our comfort zones and make us grow. So we grow deeper through discipleship these things. But we also grow deeper through service. Through service. We serve each other. One of, my, one of my favorite scenes in all the Bible is in John chapter 1 when Jesus turns water into wine. In John 2 when Jesus turns water into wine. The scripture is very clear. When he's performing this miracle, no one knows what he's doing. The bridegroom doesn't know. The bride doesn't grow. The master of ceremonies doesn't grow. No, no one knows what Jesus is doing when he turns water into wine. No one knows. Only one group of people know what Jesus is doing. The servants. Over and over in that passage it says, but the servants knew, but the servants knew, but the servants knew. Only those who were serving knew the mind of God. Only those who were serving understood God's mind and God's plan. If we want to grow, we've got to serve. In the early church in Acts chapter 6, when the church began to grow, one of the first things the apostles did was set up the, the deacons to serve. As the great theologian Bob Dylan once said, you've got to serve somebody. And if we're not serving, then we're never going to grow, y'all. This community, 
this body of Christ, we're called to serve each other. We're called to love each other. We're called to take care of each other in a world that is cold and cruel and mean. There's got to be some group, some place in our life that seeks to serve each other. And that place is the body of Christ. We're called to serve each other as Christ serves us. Next week, we're going to talk about our responsibility outside the church. But today, we are called to serve one another as fellow believers in Christ. That is part of our calling, is to serve. Last week, I had the honor of preaching in a former church. It's a church that's had a variety of pastors, and some have fit better than others. They've had some good days and some bad days. And I told this church, I said, it didn't matter who your preacher was. Preachers don't matter in that way. I said, but this church was most obedient to who God called it to be when this church was serving. When you were serving, that's when you were being obedient to God's call in your life, and that's when you were most being the church. One of our key values is that we believe in growth. We're called to grow. We grow through discipleship, following Jesus, through scripture, prayer, disciplines, worship, accountability. And we grow through service by serving each other as our Lord has served us. And y'all, when we do these things, when we do these things, not only are we changed, but through the change within us, we can change the world. The world needs the church now more than ever. May we, through God's grace, live out our values and live out who God's called us to be. Let's pray.